We're going to go into a shout. If you're new here, don't get panicked right now. Already, I love God and I love you. Amen. Here's what we've been over over the last three weeks. We've been talking about one, and it's sort of a weird title, but it's one when Jesus prays for you, like almost like a colon. And uh, we're finishing it up. Here's our fourth week, and today we're going to be talking about being one in love. But this is what Jesus has been praying. Check out what he's been saying. Uh, Here's his prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. This is Jesus praying. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you love me, even, uh, and love them even as you love me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory that you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. We're looking at that and we saw that, that Jesus wants us to be one in him, one in Jesus, one in unity together, and one in destination. Today's prayer finishes with his idea that he wants us to be one in love. The great theologian and philosopher Marley, uh, you might have heard of him, uh, he puts it this way. I have a sound clip of the theologian uh, speaking this. Yes, he did. Oh, yeah. That makes you happy, right? He said, uh, he said we should be one love. And I didn't even know there was like thanks and praise to the Lord. I was like, what, Marley? I don't, you're a Christian. I was like, I don't know what you're saying. But, but he was talking about one love. And, and we're going to see that right here at the end of the prayer, that Jesus is praying that we would have one love. Uh, and here's, here's how Jesus puts it. That's how Marley put it, the philosopher uh, but here's how Jesus puts it. <laughs> Did I throw you off with that one, huh? And I was like, uh, you didn't see it coming? Or am I too obvious? Well, I don't know. Email me. Righteous Father, here's what Jesus says. Righteous Father, this is, how, this is the end of the prayer. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And, and they know you. The they is re- referring to the disciples. Or these know you. They, they know that you've sent me. I've made you known to them, and I'll continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. So Jesus finishes it and starts our passage this morning by saying, Righteous Father, and we don't want to forget to whom Jesus is praying. The Father is righteous in all he does, in all his judgments he is right. Even when we can't see it, he's right. He's without sin, he's without error, he's without flaw or blemish. He is perfectly righteous. So whatever is about to happen in Jesus' life, whatever is going to go down in Jesus' life, Jesus says, you are still the righteous father. What is going to go down in just a little bit? And like the next day, Jesus is going to get crucified on a cross. And he says, I know that's coming, and you are still the righteous father. Jesus understood that his present distress and his soon-to-be crucifixion did not diminish the righteousness of God in even the smallest way. So too with us, when we endure hardship or trouble or pain, it doesn't take away from God's righteousness. Neither does the existence of sin and evil diminish God's righteousness. 
See, those things, they exist because we, because we as mankind, every one of us, we rebelled against God. That's where evil and sin come from, not from God. We are the cause of sin and evil, not God. And so that's how Jesus begins the end of this prayer. He says, righteous Father, no matter all the things that we're seeing, you are still righteous and good. Then he says, though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And they know that you've sent me. So when Jesus spoke of the Father, he's not... He's not talking about learned knowledge or book knowledge or, or a teacher told him or a philosophical speculation. Jesus actually knows the Father like in an intimate, personal way. His connection with God the Father is, is unique and personal and intimate. He, it, isn't a, it isn't a theological concept for him. It's not something that he's even taking by faith because he actually has seen it. If you've seen something, there's no faith to be involved. And so he's speaking. He says, I, I know you. And even if the world doesn't, I know you. And, and then he says the, perfect of, the, the purpose of perfecting union with mankind is so that mankind could know you also. Jesus wanted to include us in that inner fellowship with the triune God. And it's sort of miraculous that way. Though the world didn't know of the reality of Jesus, and the disciples were just beginning their journey of knowing Father, I've introduced you to them. They know that, that you've sent me. This prayer wouldn't be fully realized until actually Jesus, is, Jesus dies and he's resurrected and he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in the lives of the believers. Jesus says, the world doesn't know you. I do. This, the beginning work has started and they're not even going to get it for a little bit. By the way, churches, we're talking about Jesus' death and resurrection in three weeks. The next three-week series is, we're talking about is called Almost Easter because we're leading up to the Easter time, uh, which is three weeks away. happens to be our favorite holiday as Christians. We'll be celebrating Uh, this exact reality that Jesus was talking about, the exact reality of the time when when he went to the cross, resurrected, and then sent the Holy Spirit. So he says this. He continues here. He says uh, uh, that they may know you and that that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and and will continue to make you known. So he says, I introduced you. I made you known to them, and I'm going to continue to do that in in the lives of people people and believers. Jesus prays, though the world doesn't know you, it's all good, because I do, and the disciples know you, and I'm going to make you known to future believers, to, to, to us, you guys. We are the future believers that Jesus is praying for. He says, I, I made them, the world didn't know, I do, disciples do, and the future believers have this opportunity to know the Father in an intimate way, the same way that Jesus knows the Father. It's not a one-time thing, but Jesus is pointing continuously and continually to the Father. Jesus revealed and lived out the very character of God in in every aspect of his nature. Jesus fulfilled that, the brightness of his glory, the express image of the person of God. He expressed that. The world called Jesus a blasphemer and a drunk and a glutton and associate with sinners and a demon-possessed pagan, an illegitimate child. And Jesus, he didn't believe in any of it because he, he knew none of it was true. He knew exactly who he was, and he wanted us to be introduced to the Father through him. At the end, he confidently can say, look, I've made you, God, known to people, and I'm going to continue to do so. But why? Why all this making God known? 
We're going to see it in the end of this prayer here. Jesus' purpose of making the Father known is seeing right, seen right here in the ending. So he says, I have made you known to them, and I'm going to continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So for what reason? Why does Jesus make the Father known to us? In order that, say with me, in order that, that's a cousin of so that. So, you know, maybe we did so that before, but it's like similar to that. Okay, so in order that, say it with me, in order that <laughs> the love of the Father that he has for Jesus can be actually in us, and then that love can grow as we experience the personal presence of Jesus Christ in our life. So he says, I want you to know the love of the Father so that, that that love, or I want you to know the Father so that you may be filled with his love and my presence. So we're going to hang out on these two topics for just a bit today. The first, the first idea here is that he's continually making God known and he's continually making his love known so that we can continue to grow in that love in order that the love you have for me can be in them. I love, we could do like six months on the topic of love alone, right? But the bottom line is that nothing is initiated or accomplished in God's kingdom without love. Nothing. The love that God, the Father has for God the Son is available, the same love to each of us. And that's everything, you guys. That, that's it. That's the whole ball game. Like if we can wrap our heads around this and we can sort of start to taste it and grab onto it, then that's everything. The love that God has for the Son, Jesus Christ, eternally God, one of the persons of the Trinity who's existed together in a love relationship with, that love is available for me to have with God. He says, that's why I'm trying to make you known so that they can understand that love is available for every one of those human beings. Jesus received from God the Father. The love relationship was strengthened and it was sustaining his life. And then Jesus prays that same love for us, that, that the love that strengthened and sustained his life would be in us to strengthen and sustain our lives, to fill us, to fill us as believers, to fill us, church, to be available today. This speaks of the essential place of love in the Christian life and community Like Jesus thought it was so important that he specifically prayed for you right here in regard to this. He prayed for us to have love. Like he could have prayed like a myriad of other things. There's a lot of things he could have prayed for and there's a lot of issues and there's so many things. And yet he prays for love because it's the essential ingredient in God's kingdom. It cannot be taken out. If love is taken out, then the kingdom doesn't exist. See, love is the essential ingredient. If you take love from joy, take love out of joy, all you have is hedonism. Take a second. It took me a second to unwrap that. I I read that. I I didn't invent that one. If you take love out of joy, you just have hedonism. If you take love out of holiness, you have self righteousness. If you take love out of truth, then you just have bitter orthodoxy. Maybe legalism. If you take love out of missions, you have conquest. You take love out of unity, 
and it's, it's tyranny. You take love out of life, and it's Thanos. <laughs> Sorry, like overly geeky reference, but like that's what I thought of. Like, if you, how cold does it get? In if you're a Marvel, sorry, if you're not a Marvel person, Marvel, this Thanos guy is a cold-hearted person. Like, if but but really, if you take love out of life, then you have nothing of value. It is a cold and dead existence without love. I don't want it. I don't, I don't want anything. I could have everything, but if love isn't there, I don't want any of it. Love is the in- essential ingredient in God's kingdom. Without it, it doesn't matter. Like, I'll, I'll follow God because of his love. I change because of God's love. Like, it isn't my manufacturing of goodness, you guys. Like, I'm not the righteous one. He is. I'm a turd. That's the truth, church. I 100% have no righteousness on my own. Um, unequivocally, without Jesus, I wasn't even a cool sinner. I'm like a like dirty, backstabbing sinner like a rat. I have 100% no righteousness without him. But when I embrace Jesus and I allow him to love me, then and only then do things change. But Jesus' love must be first. Like, here's the deal. I think that our church has an incredible intellectual knowledge of God. I think you guys are brilliant. You have amazing minds. And you've been to so many Bible studies. And you have heard more than five or seven sermons probably in your life. I'm, I'm guessing most of us. We have an incredible intellectual knowledge of God, and with that, we need to be incredibly careful to stay here in this love relationship with Jesus. We've always, always got to return back to his love for us. We got to, that's where we got to be. That part's got to catch up to our intellectual sense of God, our intellectual understandings of the Bible. Our heart better understand that as well. And the only way that happens is when he fills us with his love. When we ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, he connects to us on the deepest possible level, the soul level. And from his love in us, then everything stems from there. Remember, he's the vine, I'm the branch. Our love is actualized and enabled through our continual love connection with him. And when that happens, like, mmm, If that's a reality, you know it's a reality. You'll know it for you and you'll see it in other people. If that love connection is a reality with God and that's where you're sitting and that's where your sustenance comes and that's where your soul is fed, then it will be obvious. Then our lives will transform and only then. Transformation doesn't happen because we're good people and we overcome our weaknesses and we've raised ourselves from our bootstraps and look how awesome I am. Transformation does not happen that way. It happens when I say, I am a turd, I have nothing, but Jesus, you are amazing. Would you fill me and transform me? Then our lives can transform and our desire for righteousness will transform. Without the love, there is no desire for righteousness. If I do the right thing, it's only to get something from you. 
It's only to make myself look good or, or to, to, to make my life smoother. If there's no love involved, there's not any real righteousness. It's always just manipulative. So God will transform my righteousness if I connect to his love. God will transform my view on money and materialism if I'm connected to his love. God will transform my actions if I'm connected to his love. And that, transforma- that transformation, that's our testimony of him. See, our words are so empty if there's been no transformation. It's quite obvious when people see us. And they don't want any part of that. You see, if we have love and that love causes transformation, then the world will transform. But if we don't, then it won't. We have nothing to say to a non-believer if we are not empowered by the love of God in our lives first. Because people will see the power of God's love in action in our lives and then pouring out to them. People deeply long to be loved in this world. Like we were designed by God this way. And he designed us this way so that he could first fill us with love. But then he doesn't just leave at that. God says, like, I created enough space for me to be there, and I want to be the first one to love you. But there's extra space in there so that other people can love you too. And so we were created with this space for God, but also for space for other people to love us and for us to love other people. We were designed that way. If you think about Adam in the garden, so all the way, God creates Adam and he's sitting here uh, and he's designed by God. Here he is. He has everything. He's in perfection. Sin hasn't come into the world yet. And so he's in perfection. His environment is perfect. His climate is exact. It's, it's the right amount of rain and sunshine. It's the right amount of uh, beautiful clouds and et cetera, et cetera, right? It's, it's perfect. He has perfect food. So probably he doesn't even get fat. He's just eating it and still stays uh, looking like me, you know, like boom, doesn't even have to work out that much. You know, hope not, right? So looking like some of y'all that work out. Is Henry here? That, that's maybe what Adam looked like. Uh, he had perfect amount of fun. Like he couldn't get bored. Boredom is a cause of like a, a, a lack of ideas or when we do the same thing over and over. But, but God doesn't have a lack of ideas. And so he has perfect fun. He uh, has the entire planet to himself. He can do anything he wants on the whole planet. Uh, and he even had God's love. And and you know what God said? Hey, I created you with space for more. Hold up. Let me get you a woman. And then God creates a woman for him. And and more people. And he tells them, multiply and fill the earth because there's space to love other people. A side note here. There's one big problem when we uh, seek love outside of where God intended. See, God intended us to have love. He intended us to have great friendships. He intended us, intended us to have relationship and, and with him. But, but if we're not seeking love from him first, or we're seeking love from friends who are not like God followers, or a woman that you're not married to, or, or man if, if you're vice versa, or if we're seeking love from the world. See, we're designed to desire love, but what happens is we try to fill that thing with something else. And if we do, then we, we've taken God's design and we, we've twisted it, we've warped it. And that will always lead to letdown, to damage, and to emptiness. God designed you to be filled with his love first and then righteous relationships with those that are around you and even intimate relationships in a marriage. 
And Jesus, though, he, he invites us to activate our ability to love rightly, and that's done so by experiencing his love more and more. As we experience the love of Jesus, our love grows. It, it, it can't go oppositely. We receive first, then our love can grow. If we're not receiving from God, our righteous love can't grow. Now, our other kinds of love can, our manipulative love, our sexual desire for love, uh, our love of, of money, our love of uh, fame and power and people and, and uh, telling people what to do and, and look at me, look at me, look at me, that, that stuff can grow. But right love can't grow in me unless I get from Jesus first. The Apostle John said, like, we love because he first loved us. It's got to be in the right order. So I don't, I don't love because I'm so great. Well, when I love on my own, it's because I want something. When I receive from God and I have everything, then I can love unconditionally. But I can't before that. As we receive that love, then we, re- we, we can release it to others. Apostle Luke says, it's out of the overflow of our heart that our mouth will speak. See, it's got to be filled up first, and then from the overflow, that's, that's what goes on to people that are around us. Our love's growth is out of the abundance of God's love for us. And from there, we love. And that's the way God intended it. Here's a taste of what like growth for ourselves and love might look like. So if I, if I say, okay, and I'm filled up with God's love, How's my love going to look? Um, it's going to have forgiveness more for yourself and for other people. If you're grown in love, it's going to have kindness more. It's going to have arguing more better, arguing more better, arguing in a way that honors God, caring about other people, Embracing righteousness in our own lives and the lives that are around us. Like, if we really do care about someone, we're going to help them get nearer to God. We're not going to push them away from God, and we're not going to allow them to drift away from God. Our final piece of Jesus' prayer is an encouragement that, that he's always with us. And it's our second point of uh, uh, here, the, the ending here, that God made known that, that Jesus' presence is available for us. And he ends it, and he says this. God, I want them to know your love so that they can grow in that love and that I myself may be in them. And this is that last part, that I myself may be in them. And he prays that, that we wouldn't only be filled with the love of God the Father, but that we would also know the indwelling presence of Jesus himself, ultimately through the Holy Spirit, so that I never have to feel alone again. There was a time not too long ago uh, in my life when, when life was just really kicking my butt. Like, uh, there are seasons like this in our lives, yes? Anyone else have a season where life was just kicking your butt before? You know? We all do, and it happens. And it's not, not only one time. That's the bummer, right? You get your butt kicking, you're like, man, this is probably going to happen another in a few more years. I can't even worry about that because I'm stuck in this one, right? So this was a time I was just really, it was really a tough time on just all sorts of different levels. And it was one of those seasons, and, and I was out for a, a, a jog. Well, I say jog, but I was out probably just outside. I wasn't jogging. <laughs> Don't overstate the case, right? I was out for a jog slash walk slash darkness outside. So I was out like at 11 at night. My wife was asleep. Uh, 
And then uh, I walk in our neighborhood, and then in our neighborhood we have this huge park, and then I, I go into the huge park, and like my, it was just, it has been such a tough time. I, I felt so much weight. I felt so much pressure, so much worry, so much distress, so much, all these kind of things going on. And I was so hurt and hurting inside. And so I go to the park, and, and I'm sitting in the middle of this huge empty field. Like, no one's out here. This is full of time. People go to bed by 9, and they turn off all the lights. So it's, like, super dark, and, it's, uh, and I'm in the middle of this field alone. And then I, I, I sit down in the, the wet grass. It's, like, totally emo, right? I sit down in the, the wet grass. And, and I, actually, I got a little scared because it's Coyote Hills is, like, the title of this. And I was like, do coyotes eat people? I don't know. I don't know if, so like, I, I'm all depressed, and then, you know, you take a, a moment from your sadness because you have, like, the reality, like, a coyote could come bite you. And I was like, I don't know. And then there was, like, a bird, and I was like, ah! and I was like, oh, I'm scared of the dark a little bit, right? So but then I was like, oh, forget that. I'm, I'm sad, remember? And then, and then I got, fell back into, like, not on purpose, but, you know, like, there's that, like, moment where you're, like, not sad because you got worried about a coyote. But here I am in the middle of this empty field, wet grass, my, my heart is aching. Like, literally, it was uh, it's time. I, I, have, I don't know if I've wept that much. Like, uh, even in, in death, death is um, sort of final for me, and I trust God with that, and then I don't even worry about it after that, because, like, uh, nothing to do, right? Death, but when you're still alive, you're like, ah, oh, i got to worry about it tomorrow, too, because they're still alive. But uh, So even when, you know, death has happened in my life, like, I, I wept for it, but I, I have never, I hadn't ever wept uh, and hurt like I was that moment, never in my whole life, sitting in this field alone. And I, I'm weeping, and, and, and my heart is aching. And uh, despite all the appearances of that, nobody anywhere to be seen, I knew that I wasn't alone. I sat there without anyone around, but I wasn't alone. Jesus was with me. And he, he was not there in a flash. He did not physically appear. There was not a voice, nor was there a miracle. But he was there in reality. Just like gravity doesn't need to announce itself at every turn, it's just a reality. So I sat there in the reality knowing that all the stuff I'm facing, all the stuff I'm dealing with, all the stuff I'm aching over, I'm not alone. And that matters. And that's the end of Jesus' prayer, that I myself may be in them. The same is, is when you know Jesus. Even in the most difficult times of your life, Jesus is with you. But you never have to face them alone. As we close uh, with a few moments of prayer and worship, I'm going to ask that you would just open your hands up with, with me like this. I know we don't always do this, but, but it, you could do it all secret and small if you like. If you would open up your hands with me like this, palms up, extended, and would you pray that you will receive the love Jesus prayed for us to have? Would you receive that love today for the unbeliever for the first time and for the believer for a new time right now? It's essential that we each open our hearts and receive his love. Would you receive it with me? Father, we want to open up ourselves as best as we can. We desire your presence in our life right now. I pray you would confirm in our heart, just like gravity is a reality, we would sense your reality right now, that you are with us, 
God, I pray that your love would start to pour into us right now. That you would fill us in a way that we didn't anticipate this morning when we got up. God, would you start to move in us in a way that will transform us? Would you start to fill the areas that, that have been empty for so long? Father, we're asking for your love to pour into us. Would you join me in asking that for yourself? Would you dare step out in faith and say, Jesus, would you fill me with your love and overwhelm me with your presence?